Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. Hello, 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 hello. Hello. Today. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. 
good. I hope you guys have a good show. We are live Monday, July 11th. Guys, you know what? It's fish tour week. It doesn't seem real. This week? This week? No, that's not Yeah, like not that many sleeps. I'm going to check my phone. I'm going to check my watch. I think that this week is when Fish is going on tour. I don't know. You would think that we would know this information. If, if, if we're wrong on this, please, listeners, dear listeners <laughs> out there, let us know. I, I, th- I think um, it's real. I think it's real. I think that I'm accurate on this. But this week, Fish will be taking the stage for the very first time. Since the last time. Since early <laughs> June 2022. This will be... This weekend we'll have the 17th, 18th, and 19th fish shows of 2022. Mm. It's so wild. We've heard so much fish in the first half of this year. It's been pretty cool of the band to do this for us. Um, I'm really excited for what we have on tap this upcoming summer. I haven't been informed of any set lists or of any bust outs yet. I'm expecting to get my PDF in the mail of what to anticipate by... At least Friday or Saturday morning. RJ hasn't forwarded that yet. Prediction standpoint, he doesn't forward me that stuff. He hoards it Mm. for today's episode. He hoards it. Um, We're not here today, though, to talk about (laughs) summer 2022 because we're going to be talking about summer 2022 a ton, a ton in the next eight weeks. We got our plans all set. We got a bunch of guests who are booked. We got. New sponsors wrangled up. I may even have a new shirt at some point. I'm about to have a new background. I mean, we are in position to tackle, (laughs) not violently, but lovingly, this upcoming summer tour. We've even got our friends over at Wook Plus. We're going to be recapping a bunch of shows alongside of them. We're going to be recapping shows immediately afterwards sometimes, hanging out with them. You get to see all of us. A little bit looser, a little bit more limber. You can see what I look like at 11.30 p.m.? I know. I'm nervous. I hope I can stay up that late. I can't believe I volunteered to do two of those. I thought they'd just let me pick one. They're like, great, you'll do those two? And I'm like, 11.30? Okay. You get a lot of energy, Meg. You're going to be great. Yeah, You're going to be great. Um, Also, shout out to um, our good friends over at Work Plus for putting together an amazing ad that featured our very own Megan Dance. The Megan Dance on True. it. That's what your name is for the entire summer. Pretty great. Were, I can't wait for people to see just the Megan Dance because that is a vibe that we all need to encapsulate and live with throughout this entire summer. But you put your acting skills to work. Mm-hmm. I did. Mr. Kevin Hogan put his acting skills to work and we showcased that, hey, there's no competition here. It's, we're all just hanging out, talking fish, loving fish, probably fluffing way too much fish. Come at us. Tell us what we fluffed too much. We'll argue with you. We're happy to do that. I'll come in the streets and I'll start fighting for the things I love. You know, that's where I am. Um, getting way, way off topic here on a Monday. Uh, I am very excited for this upcoming summer tour. I'm very excited to hang with you two a ton. We're also going to do like mm-hmm. pre-show shows, post-show shows, set break shows. There's a lot of shows that are coming so up. It's going to be a ton. Um, but before we get to all of that, we have to talk today for 
I think of the fourth time this year about 1992 fish, which was 30 no, years ago. I haven't been here for any of those. You haven't, right, unfortunately. You haven't. Keep doing it on Wednesdays. Wednesday. Yeah. We'll keep doing it on Wednesday. Our, our, we'll keep doing that. We'll just save the 1997 <laughs> to 2004 content for when Jonathan can appear. Um, we are joined today by a very, very special guest. Mr. Alex May will be joining us here in just a couple of minutes. Alex was, I want to say lucky enough, but I don't even think that's the right word. I think he had the foresight in 1992 Mm -hmm. to go and see fish on that summer tour in three different occasions. He got to see a horde show, a solo fish show, two setter and a Santana show. He got to see it all. He got to see the full plethora aside from going to Europe and seeing them with the violent femmes, which to be totally honest, I can't hold against anyone for not traveling to Europe to see fish in 1992. I just can't. I, I mean, I probably wouldn't have, um, even it's a I noob call. Right I'm it. sorry. It, 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 all, all real fans went. Everybody was there. That is the way Everybody. to judge a vet, actually. <laughs> That's actually how we should do it. If someone's like criticizing you for loving fish too much, you should be like, were you there in Europe 92? No. Then shut up. Just yeah. move along. You know, Talk. I don't want to hear your opinion. Given everything <laughs> you have to this band. Now, Alex saw a bunch of great, great shows in the summer of 92, and we're going to dive into those with him. But before we do that, we do have to tell you a bit about our sponsors. And I know you're out there saying, hey, I can just pause because Brian's going to go on about Sunset Lake CBD. <laughs> no, he's not. Not right now, at least. I will. Uh-huh. But not in this moment. So I want to tell you about our sponsors at Passion House Coffee. Here at Osiris, we are powered by a few things. Music, of course. Of course, everybody knows this. Also coffee. Meg, Jonathan, you guys strike me as people who need coffee. Do you? I do. And I have been a regular Passion House customer for some time now. Meg? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a coffee person. Coffee's delicious. It's we've, the best. We've the all got ritual. kids. I don't know how you'd survive kids without coffee. I tried it for like three weeks. I was like, oh, I'm just going to give up coffee and I'm going to drink water. Why would I do that? Why would I suffer myself like Mm-mm. that? You know, it's crazy. I'd, I'd like to point out that I didn't even say coffee's delicious. I just said yes. <laughs> delicious is important. It's important. It's not my first thought. But and it's part of the reason with these guys. It's part of the reason why we're always drinking Passion House coffee. And now. We have our very own blend, the Ocean of Osiris. I mean, that's cool. cool. That's cool. It's really cool. It's really cool. cool. Please visit passionhousecoffee.com. You can see it on the screen right here, but I'll read it again for those of you listening. Passionhousecoffee.com to get some of this and other coffee today. Use the code OSIRIS, O-S-I-R-I-S for free shipping on every order. In addition, we have a contest that we will be running all summer long. For each fish show, we'll be giving away bags of Ocean Osiris coffee every time fish plays an ocean song. Every time you hear an ocean song, may it be Soul Planet, or possibly like A Wave of Hope, or maybe even Gula Papyrus, Tag Osiris on and use the hashtag Ocean of Osiris, and we'll select two winners at random each night. Should be a ton of fun. Check out Passion House Coffee. 
Osiris.com and use promo code OSIRIS. Free shipping on every order. In addition, last bit of business here for you all. We want to tell you about our sponsors at Tonewood Brewing and the Ardmore Theater. On Monday, July 18th, Osiris Live is coming to the Ardmore. This event will be a combination of live music, conversation, and lots of jamming. We all like jam. In this event, we'll focus on amazing guitarists. Musical guests include Tom Hamilton, Chris Forsyth, and Daniel Donato. Backing band features Andy Cush of Garcia Peoples. I think you're repping Garcia Peoples right now on the show. Oh, yes, my I God. Am. Right there on my shirt. shirt. Such a killer shirt. Ryan Jewell, who's played with Chris Forsyth and Riley Walker and a number of other amazing artists, also taught me how to play guitar for like eight weeks. It was the best music lessons I've ever no had way. in my And Ron Stabinski of the Meat Puppets. Each musical guest will talk with our good friend RJB and then play a couple songs with the backing band. The night will conclude with a super jam featuring all of the musicians. Thanks to Tonewood Brewing and the Ardmore Music Hall for helping make this happen. For tickets, you can see it on the screen. Visit OsirisPod.com slash Osiris Live. And with that... Come. Say hi. I'm going to be there. Come. Say hi. Megan will be there. I will be there in spirit. I am so, so excited about this. And with that, let's welcome our very good friend, Mr. Alex May. Alex. Hello. How are you doing, my man? I'm doing really well, thank you. It's the middle of July, but we have a random reprieve, so it's only like 80 degrees and not 95 and sweltering. So um, it's all good. <laughs> That's it's all very good. good. We we had like we were in the hundreds this Oof. past weekend, and then we got like wind that came in last night, and I came outside to let the dogs out at I don't know. 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, whatever insane hour my puppies wake up at. And I was like, oh, it's so nice out. I went inside and opened the entire house. It was perfect. What a gift. Yeah. So, Alex, we brought you on the show today. We've been talking. You and I have been emailing for, I don't know, the last six or seven months talking about this episode. I can't believe it's actually here. Tell us, take us back in time, 30 years to okay. 1992. <laughs> Tell us where you were at, your how you got into fish, and kind of how you ended up going to like the three sampler pack of summer 92 fish shows. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess in 1990, 91, I was like a 15 or 16 year old, and I got into the beat generation, the 60s counterculture movement, and just was reading like On the Road and Howl and electric kool-aid acid test and thomas pynchon and i fell in love with the dead and at, at first the only way i knew to connect with music was through live recordings so i was collecting all the studio albums and then eventually got reckoning uh dead set and live without a net and i was like this is why people are excited about the grateful dead so i immediately began collecting every tape i could it didn't matter if it was a soundboard or a hissy sixth generation audience tape. I just had <laughs> to have it. And I had like incomplete sets. Um, I had Cornell set two in like in 91, but it wasn't really until the mid 2000s that I actually heard set one. So I was just ravenous for whatever I could get my hands on. Uh, and at some point, some fish tapes started circulating in. I know I had 12, eight, 86 set two. I had a bunch of the Colorado 1990 run. Um, 
some of the local shows at tracks like Mrs. Pizza Shit Rocks. Uh, <laughs> those were all filtering in my way. And it, it, you know, I was drawn to the dead because of the lyricism, uh, like the vocal imagery when you're listening to those songs, the deep interplay of the band, and then a ripping guitar player. And all my friends were super into punk rock, like Sonic Youth, mm. Pixies, The Pogues, Sonic uh, Replacements, etc. And Fish kind of navigated in between those things. They had the songwriting, they had the lyricism, they had a band that was just tight. And I never would describe Fish as aggressive, but they were just like right there on that edge, a really fast place, like cutting edge music. And Trey was just fire back then. So... I always just fell in love with that sound. Um, and, you know, I saw my first musical show. I kind of consider that like the show that I wanted to see, not necessarily something my parents dragged me to was three, six on the floor at Hampton with the dead. Uh, and I was close enough to like see Jerry and you were there. I was there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's fun. awesome. Oh, so yeah. Jealous. So I was close enough to be seeing Jerry like in person and it just blew Jeez. my mind. Yeah. And then a couple nights later I saw him at the cap center and that was like a just whip change of like an intimate 10,000 put, you know, person volume and then going to the cap center and being up in the nosebleeds. It was just mm. a Never startling change, yeah. contrast. Um, but then I got word that fish was playing in Charlottesville that summer. So I, I was able to go to plan nine and get tickets for like twelve fifty each, uh, and I bought three tickets. And I had another friend come over the mountain from Harrisonburg and join us at Tracks. Um, my dad was a big enough Santana fan for me to convince him into going with me, so I could see Fish. And he was like, "All right, Santana." Um, <laughs> but the Horde show and Seven Eleven, like that was just by luck, and I'll get into that in a minute. Um, but yeah, I, I just I was really fortunate to get thrust into this world as a 17-year-old going to see this band that was just absolute fire at a point where I was loving live music and just really, really exposed to it. Um, I'm excited to go to Raleigh this summer. That'll be my 88th show. Nice. Uh, and really, like, kind of life got in the middle of things. Most of my shows are all 1.0. Um, I saw a handful of 3.0s or 2.0s, excuse me. And then in the fall or winter of 2009, my wife and I were expecting twins and they were due in mid-April. So like Fish was coming back at Hampton in March. I was like, I got this. And I was able to get tickets to one and three and I was just going to go to night two. I was going to manifest it. It was going to happen. It was going to be beautiful. Um, but then on uh, February 28th, my wife's water broke in spectacular fashion all over our kitchen floor. And I was like, all right, we're going to the hospital. So our, <laughs> our, our twin daughters were born the next Aww. day. And I was like, oh, I, man. I, Hampton's I, off. Yeah, it's it's like, oh, one week. One week out. One week, yeah. one week, oh, man. We, we were so unprepared. We had car seats, but they weren't installed. It's like, oh, we got six weeks. It's like, no, no. Life is like, we're going to do this to you. So I couldn't go. It's um, a pretty good the, excuse. Yes, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We'll give it to you. <laughs> but that's kind of been my thing with this, you know, kind of since 2009 is I'm just hitting like Charlotte, Raleigh, you know, anywhere that's close by that I can dip up to kind of either do come back that night or just do a quick overnight. Uh, so things have slowed down for me, but that that's where I'm at. So 
It's a pretty likely tale, though, of people who got to see a bunch of 90s shows and then life gets in the way and, you know, in, in the right way. And the nice thing about, Megan, you're you're right there. I'm <laughs> I'm in the middle of it right now where it's like, I could go to all these shows, but I do have two kids and they're all very young. Yep. And like with Couch Tour now, it's almost, why don't I just hang out with my kids and watch Fish? And there's like a great yep. way to combine them all. So um, I definitely feel you on that. We brought our son to Trey at red rocks this last year i'm not ready for him to see fish it's a little bit too dark trey is all happy and you know uh but but it was a good it was a good stepping stone into there but um i'm just realizing as we're talking and i really appreciate you breaking all that down so it was 30 years ago to the day that you saw fish at uh, the horde festival at um jones beach was that your first fish show um correct me uh, forgive me if i yes absolutely that was it so Uh, Go ahead. Well, I, I got super lucky. Uh, at that point, my aunt and uncle lived in Pennington, New Jersey. Okay. And my mom's mom was like, we're going to, she and my sister drove up there to go visit them. And once we were there, I realized how close Homedale was. And so I got <laughs> in a big argument with my mom. She gave me a bunch of guilt about like, how could you leave the family? How could you leave <laughs> I was like, Oh God. It's get fish. ready for this. <laughs> uh, and she set up, you know, she, she was fair. She let me go, but I had a pretty, you know, tough curfew. So I didn't save for the entire show, but I got to go see fish, which was freaking amazing. So uh, that really was great. And then I had tickets to go see the 15th and that really blew my mind. Um, mm-hmm. You hear about folks like they go to a show or two and they don't get it. That second show, I was all in. I was all You're in. in. Yeah. Mm. Well, let's set the table here really quick because um, we've done we did a monthly series throughout the spring, March, April, and May, where we talked through those months of uh, Fish's spring tour, which, as we talked about, it was a real growth period for the band. Um, they play they bookend the tour with multiple weeks in the Northeast. They're debuting a ton of new songs, and as they move out west, they start to really stretch their wings in a lot of cases and they start to push songs like david bowie and tweezer out a little bit further you have these incredible shows like 416 and 421 that really just scratches the surface but like those are the two that just stand out in so many cases um as huge accomplishments for the band at that point in time and then they come back to the northeast they close down in mid-may with a couple nights um in both Portland, I believe, and the Flynn Theater and um, uh, upstate New York. But I'm curious, like, for all of you guys, that kind of gap between what Fish did during the spring versus this incredible summer tour that is going to showcase, like, a lot of opportunities for them to kind of market themselves to a bigger audience. What are your guys' thoughts on Fish as they're going from spring 92 to summer 92? Jonathan, I'm curious your thoughts it's kind of they're creeping onto the big stage right so mm-hmm. they've been playing the moderate sized clubs and towns and small theaters and such and 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 that's kind of what they still do for their own shows like tracks for example here but opening for Santana that's you pl- they're playing the big big sheds uh horde particularly up north they're playing the big sheds they're getting out to much bigger space and so they're having to do that thing that we've talked about a a bunch which is figure out what material works in bigger spaces 
and uh, you know they take some chances. It I, I I wouldn't say that any of it doesn't work, but that's me. But I think they probably find some stuff that you know doesn't play as well, and they don't they don't so you don't see take the A train too much on the big stages. But you know they'll still play it still in the repertoire. Um, but then they, you know, they find they can really go big with a chalk dust torture or a, you enjoy myself and whatnot. Um, yeah, I mean, and they, 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 I really like that they don't shy away from taking chances on the, when they're on those big stages, which, you know, a lot of bands might. This just, just continues to barrel forward unafraid. That's a really good point, and that's something I was noticing when I was listening. I think we'll all highlight that, but I do appreciate you twisting the knife a little bit further to RJ with uh, Take the A-Train not working <laughs> on big stages. Um, <laughs> Megan, did, did what, are your, <laughs> what are your thoughts? Uh, you were you and I, I think, did all three Spring 92 shows together. What are your thoughts in, just in terms of how you're hearing the band uh, change from the end of that tour to wherever they're going next? Yeah, I think in March, they're really thinking about their connection with the audience. And then in April, they really kind of turn inward and start thinking about their connection with each other on stage in a way that's just really powerful and motivating and inspiring for them. And then like you're saying, Jonathan, this is like their dress rehearsal, right? And I think you can see them really practicing stamina and what it's going to take to play these really big rooms. And it's it's a chance for them to see, like, what does it sound like to play Yem in an amphitheater? You know, what does it sound like to get on the trampolines in the amphitheater? And what does it sound like to play, you know, landlady, these quieter songs in the amphitheater? So I think for them, it's an incredible dress rehearsal because the next two years are just packed with growth. So it's it's an exciting time. And like you said, Jonathan, they're playing without a net in 92, and it's it pays off majorly. It's a really exciting year to listen back to. The energy is just through the roof. Yeah, this is this year to me sounds like such pure fish, but it was wild. Like I, I will admit, Summer '92 had always kind of been a bit of a blind spot for me because it's yeah. not a straightforward tour, and I was like, where do I go? You know, I know the, mm-hmm. I know the um, Santana set in Stowe. Got to go and listen to that. But like for me, it was it was wild to you know, go and listen to, to bounce around these, these shows. And, and if we didn't make it clear to listeners at the top, um, one of the joys of having Alex on is that you saw a Horde show, a solo show and a Santana show. We're going to kind of use that format to jump off because we all picked, um, a show that matches up with something that you saw to kind of complement gotcha. your experience. Um, so let's talk. So you you saw your your first fish show with Seven Eleven Ninety Two, yeah, the today. Garden State Arts Center today, thirty years ago. Um, tell us really quick because I picked a horde show as well, and we can talk about this. But like, tell me the vibe of the horde shows. Like, what was it like walking in there? How many? You know, there's a bunch of different fan bases who are all kind of connected i'm imagining together but like you know are also now doing their own thing 30 years later but what was it like inside what was the turnover like for for these artists like what was the vibe and structure of it all i'm I'm curious if you could interject also your familiarity with some of these other groups Mm. absolutely uh and, and i think that was woefully like my my Lynchman's not the right word, but I was unprepared for that level of things. Um, 
I this I was looking back at when like the Spin Doctors record came out, when Four came out by Blues Traveler, and it looks like a lot of those things dropped in either later '92 or didn't really achieve mm-hmm. mass popularity until spring of '93. So yeah. for the most part, I was unprepared. Uh, I had a girl who was a friend, not a girlfriend, who made me a mixtape, uh, and. I had a couple panic tunes on there. There was also some Little Feet, some Almond Brothers. So it was, it was that kind of vibe. Uh, so I knew a couple of songs by them. Uh, and I went and got the new ARU record after hearing this, but I was not prepared. I knew Fish, basically. And that was, wow. I think, I think that was the impetus really behind the whole Horde tour was like, hey, each of these bands have like 800, 1,000 fans who would go see a show. But if you mm-hmm. put four or five of them together, then all of a sudden you can half fill a shed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I really think that was the fan. And so point. And so, you know, I, like I said, I was at my aunt's house. I begged and pleaded. I was able to go over there. Uh, I was, I, I don't remember the the layout of who was who. I feel like fish was third or fourth. I, I basically left after the fish set so I could get home by my curfew. Um, <laughs> yeah. That, you know, um, but really, it was amazing to kind of hear all those bands, and I'm looking back at all the set lists, and I'm like, oh, yeah, there, there are all these songs that I now know, but I didn't necessarily know then, so I, I was mm-hmm. woefully unprepared. Um, that being said, I had a lot of fun at the show. Like the, It really felt like they were taking so many chances, uh, and that's kind of your point. Like it wasn't a festival set per se, but they really just were playing their music and doing it their own way. Uh, and so really like something like, uh, the, Oh gosh, sorry. Um, landlady to open it up. I'm a huge punch you in the eye fan. So it was really cool to hear that was before punch and landlady were together. So just upon my re-listening, getting to hear landlady was like, Oh, I love this song. It's so good by itself. Um, mm-hmm. the Yem really stands out just cause it was a lot of fun with John Popper who came out on stage. Uh, they were all kind of like jump. He got out and he was doing the trampoline jump. And I've read different reports on this where he <laughs> broke the trampoline or the trampoline was broken and he exited the stage afterwards. Um, but either way it was kind of, it was fun to see someone like get back on stage and be with the band and, and be a part of that kind of shenanigans. So it, it was a crash course into things. I I was unprepared for, you know, I wish maybe a year had gone by and I was more aware what horror tour meant, uh, getting those kinds of bands together. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I got to see fish. So it was cool. <laughs> one thing that really shocks me about listening to these sets, these one setters is it's different from current festival sets because yes. it's so focused mm-hmm. on, like it is the classics when you really like to to get coil, you enjoy myself, cavern, runaway gym, stash, Susie Greenberg, all in a set. Like that is as close to like a fish greatest ha- greatest hits as people are asking for it. That you know at yeah. that point in time, and really even to this day. But it's also wild to me that like these don't just feel like a first set. And if you look back at like mm. the spring tour, 
they were playing these sets that like were kind of recital sets in the sense that like they showcased everything about the band, you know, so you'd have like a segment that was, uh, you know, hard rocking. Then you'd have a segment that was more bluegrass. You'd have a segment that had jazz songs because they're playing in tiny theaters and they can still play jazz songs. There you go, Jonathan. Uh, you'd have a segment that was a little bit, you know, experimental. They're not quite 1993 yet, but like these sets are all of that compacted in like six songs. And, you know, perhaps that's a good transition. Like the show I picked was two nights earlier, the tour opener, the horde. I think it's the horde tour opener. At least it's when fish jumps on board. It's also fish's first performance at the Cumberland County civic center, which really hit me because it's 18 months before they play 1230 93, which to me is, that is a top five fish show to me. And in 18 months, this band is going to go from playing third or fourth on a festival bill with a bunch of other bands that they're on the same level at to headlining a two set show at this venue and playing one of my favorite Mike songs that they're ever going to play. But even here, you get what you're talking about. You get a glide opener, which is also going to close the show. It's a glide reprise to close yeah. the show. The you get, Let's do that again. That's <laughs> so awesome. I love that. You that get so cool. Susie Stash, Squirming Coil, Runaway Jim, David Bowie, all in this set, along with other songs. You get a vacuum solo in the middle of David yeah. Bowie. That's so it's weird. It's just like it, this band is trying things out and basically saying, whatever we did on this last tour, this is my interpretation, whatever we did on this last tour worked, let's mm-hmm. not let's not tone that back because people clearly like that. Let's just lean into that. Even when we're playing with other bands and we're playing like a one set show. I think, I think the difference here from the uh, standalone shows or the thing that's similar to the standalone shows, but different from the Santana shows is that these shows are really, even though it's a mixture of audiences, fish felt like they were in front of their crowd mm-hmm. and they're, and so they're playing to that. Um, they also have a little bit more time than some of the Santana sets, Absolutely. which is good and nice. Yeah. And, you know, I think well-programmed by the, <laughs> by the folks who, you know, collectively mm-hmm. put this together. Um, and yeah, both of these seven, nine and the seven eleven sets are really great. Just like classic 92 version of stash, you know, uh, Ooh, the seven, nine so one is, it's, Nine it's minutes of just like, there's hot, not a moment that it breaks. Perfect. Right. It's perfect. It's like gusto, precision. It's like perfect. And you well, can interchange a lot of the different versions through like the, say, six mm-hmm. shows that, you know, I listened to to, you know, get ready for this. Um, but there's, they're all really good. Some of them are really, really good maybe, but they're all really good and uh, very easy to swap out because that's the other thing they're doing very well at this point is they're just consistent, very high level playing. So there's no, mm-hmm. there's no slouching through these sets. Yeah. I, I wonder what like the after show hangs were like since all these guys <laughs> were sort of friends and sort of on the same like tour circuits, yeah. like, they must have just had a blast after the shows were over on the bus, like different members of different bands getting together, hanging out and having fun. I, I just wonder what it was like. <laughs> well, it's a weird time. Like yeah, it's an interesting time for all of them because like you mentioned, like it's not like any of these bands have blown up. 
but they're all at a point where they collectively can draw enough to fill an arena or, you know, 60 to 70% of an arena of an amphitheater, like enough to justify the expense of it. So like they're all kind of relatively unknown, but they're well known enough by their fan bases. So they're kind of at that point in your career where like, you know, this is what you're doing and you know that you can do this and you're all in, but the pressures of any sort of fame, you know, blues traveler doesn't have to deal with run around yet. Uh, spin doctors. I don't think at this point had to deal with any of their no. big singles. Those are still about a year or two away. Um, I, I you think know. I, like they were starting to hit and I saw them that fall at college. Yeah. yeah. I think like two princes it. came out in like 92, but they're like on the precipice. Some of these yeah. Yeah. The record was out, they're but like, it hadn't yeah. quite, and it was, I think, during this time was coming big. And I think the press for this tour, uh, I mean, there's, a, there's, I think, a Rolling Stone cover that ta- or a Rolling Stone mm-hmm. piece that like talked about, about this it. tour that I think uh, didn't hurt anybody at all. Um, <laughs> I remember hearing about it. I was, I was still in middle school, but I remember hearing about this and, like, wanting, wishing, like, thinking it was really cool. I didn't know about any of the bands yet, but I remember hearing about Horror Tour. That, that's also- one of the... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brian. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Share your well, story. I was going to say that's one of the things that I found really interesting looking at the history of the Horde Tour mm-hmm. is like the first year they were broke. The second year they broke even. But by 94 through 98, they were making money. It was and a hand it, over fist affair. Yeah. But if you look at the bands that were on those later bills, they mm-hmm. all had really big either commercial radio success or mm-hmm. video success. Yeah. Also, arguably, where are those bands now? Um, so like that, you know, it is what it is, but. And that's probably more when I heard about it was like 94, like when I was in high school and, you know. I mean, that is the thing. Your last point is like one of the things that really fascinates me about this vibe of these multiple bands playing together is Blues Traveler and Spin Doctors are going to have to deal with the challenges of breaking out of this fan base and breaking out of this culture and becoming a part of pop culture. Fish is going to have this career that's going to kind of like steadily rise in a way that they're all on the same level right now. In three years, these bands are going to have like the challenge of following up big hit singles and Mm -hmm. fish isn't going to have to worry about that. It just, it's a very interesting like crossroads that they're all at and what the next three to four years is going to have to have for them. Um, Let's jump to your second show, which gets us into, so this tour, which lasts from July 9th all the way to August 30th, um, which is kind of a standard summer tour now. Yeah. You know, that's kind of, that's what we're looking at in this upcoming 2022 summer tour. Um, but this show you, so I'm just blown away. We talked about this, but like, as I'm looking at it, it's just like hitting me all over again. You see three vastly different fish shows in three weeks or in, in, in a week's almost uh, a week. Frame. Yeah. Almost. Wow. A week. So You're you go it. from <laughs> Homedale in Seven Eleven where you ditch your family Still making a home for curfew and you get back home and you see Charlottesville, you see fish play at tracks on seven fifteen. Tell us about this vibe, all this sort of stuff. Like what made you go to this? Was it just, you walked out of the seven 11 show and you're like, done, I got to do this again. Well, No, no. I I actually knew fish was playing. I, the seven 11 show, I was just lucky to be able to go into. I knew they were playing tracks. So I I had planned and asked permission to, you know, go do this concert. 
Uh, I had an older chaperone who was willing to drive us. Um, I was 17. I probably looked like I was 15. So I was, like, <laughs> I was not sneaking beers. I was not doing anything like that. Um, and, and tracks was tiny. Uh, I, I think I mentioned to y'all, I was able to see Dave Matthews play there a couple of times. Um, but you basically, you like walk in the venue, the soundboard is right there. The merch table is right behind the soundboard. Then you're in like a really short room that goes right up to the stage. It's smaller than the 930 club. It's smaller than the black cat. If you've been to wow. or the cat's cradle, uh, if you've been down mm. in Chapel Hill. And That's a small the, place too. Cat's cradle is small. So this place must well, be really small. <laughs> it, it was tiny. Um, yeah. I, I think about 700 people fit in there. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And the stage was like knee height. And the band was probably an arm width apart from everybody. Um, I bought a fish Eurotrax 2000 t-shirt from the merch table, which I wore until it had holes in it everywhere. And then it was like, I had to let go. Um, But my friends and I were literally the first row. Like I could reach my hand out and touch Trey. Uh, And that was one of the things that just really blew me away was just like the presentation of the band, like, Paige is kind of wearing a button up and some jeans and Trey was a t-shirt and jeans, but Mike had on like acid wash jeans and his puffy high top sneakers. Uh, <laughs> Where? He's so committed to those. Oh, he yeah. wears them for like a few years. Yeah. He's... <laughs> and Fishman came out in a jock strap and Rex specs. And that was it. What? <laughs> Did he wear that throughout the whole show? Uh, yes. Yes, he did. Oh, my God. It's, oh it's a my commitment God. to come back from that break. <laughs> like, mean, yep, still doing it's it. Virginia in the summertime. Yeah, by the way, yeah, it was probably warm. Packed on top of each other, so I can't imagine who had to clean off that seat cover for the drummer. <laughs> but, oh. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, uh, you're image. <laughs> this this is it. It's the visual imagery. But yeah, yeah. So it was it was kind of a really tiny stage. There was a second smaller room that did have a bar and pool tables. But my friends and I just we rolled right up front. We were the first row. Um, you know, seventeen. We were just pogo jumping the entire set, uh, and it was really a yeah. great mix of like. Songs I knew, songs I was hoping to hear, and songs that I had no idea about. So um, I loved the glide opener. You know, I, we had just gotten Picture of Nectar, so that was really cool to hear uh, just kind of the descending tritones of like falling into this vibe. And then the Okipa Susie was like such a classic that you were just like, we're on fire, we're going for it. So yeah. it was so much fun. Yeah, it's wild how like I'm looking at this and it's very, very similar to what you would expect like a set during the spring in terms of like you get a bit of everything. Mm-hmm. You get that energy out the gates, Susie, then foam, then you get this, you know, my friend, my friend, which is kind of like yeah. your opener in the fifth slot, but it, you know, gives you kind of that classical appeal. It showcases the Americana aspect. Uncle Penn, you get into some bluegrass and then yep. you're right back into insanity with split up and a melt. You get horse silent, chalk dust, lizards, antelope. I mean, it's a very cool first set that yeah. flows really well in a way that I, I mean, I often wonder what it would be like if they played a 92 style set where like, you know, they didn't play anything post 92, you know, today maybe like expand a little bit on some of these songs, but like just getting this many classics in one set 
somebody would complain, obviously, yeah. but like they, sure. they should not though. At some point, you would hear yeah. this and be like, "Oh my god!" Like they're not playing anything post nineteen ninety. You know, it just it's such a classic fish sound. All of these songs, they all work together, even though you know there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, diversity in the music. Well, that was one thing in striking me in doing my homework is I actually listened to the Boathouse Show and the Flood Zone Show, um, and they had enough standalone jams that each night had like a song or two featured that weren't repeated. Mm-hmm. Whereas you might get like a Guila Papyrus repeat, or there were some other songs that were repeated, but they had enough like, no, we're going to save Mike's song for this day. Or we're going to save divided sky for this day that they already had that kind of intentionality, even though all those venues are like 45 minutes an hour away from each other. So. That's so wild. Um, I remember the boathouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, so Megan, let's. Well, no, there's a new there's a new boathouse, but it's not the same as the it's old not boathouse. The, same boathouse. the old yeah. boathouse literally was a crappy, like dilapidated boathouse on the water in, in Norfolk. That yeah, just, I saw this, that's where I saw the Spin Doctors that fall and oh, cool. um, Panic. Maybe yep. a year and a half later. Yeah. Yeah. Cool Megan, let's turn to you because you selected a show that Fish played that was another solo show about a month later, across the country in uh, San Juan Capistrano, California at the Coach House. Tell us why you picked this and what your thoughts were as you were listening to this and kind of how you interpreted this along with the larger tour. Well, this is a dinner theater in Orange County, California, wow. which is just hilarious. Yeah, it was opened in 1980 and it's a it's still open and it's a launching platform for aspiring artists. So there's 480 people seats but 300 are reserved for dinner reservations and they're close to the stage. So that to me was just hilarious. Imagining fish playing in a dinner theater. And one of Especially the reviews if fish I read. Especially fish comes out wearing a jockstrap. Surprised they didn't do dinner in a movie. I know that would have been, <laughs> we are about to ruin your appetite. I read one <laughs> review on fish.net that they were saying they like folded up their table and chairs and like pushed them under the stage so they could like dance and stuff. But I just think, this would have been just a hilarious scene. And this show is awesome. I mean, it's super playful. It just has this fun energy. The um, Ninja Custodians are there, which is their like friend band from um, Vermont. And they open for them. And it's just awesome. They're now in California playing. And so I can imagine that it just must have been a really fun night for them. This like reunion with their friends from Vermont. And here they are playing in California at this dinner theater. And so far away from home. Yeah, like so far from home and like, you know, they're really, they've been out West. They did like this amazing tour out in April where they just absolutely crushed California. So I'm sure they're really feeling great about being back in California already. And the show's just really fun. It's the highlights. I think the Wilson is incredible. It just has this like really slow intro with these like wood blocks. There's a lot of secret language instructions, really cool guitar licks. And like they start it with a whispering Wilson. Like I love these old Wilsons that have such a different beginning. You know, now it's just this powerhouse beginning, but I love this kind of creep into it. It's just super playful and really quiet and creepy after Can You Still Have Fun and Trey like just is repeating this riff and it gets like louder and then quieter and they're just to me this whole show seems really loose but in the best way not like in 
I, I saw some people saying they didn't think it was like the tightest show, but I think it actually works in this in this show. I think that they sound really like they're having a great time and they're doing a lot of secret language. They're doing incredible Bowie. I mean, this Bowie is like, this intro is super cool. It's very unhurried. They're doing some weird, I think, I can't tell if it's like a slide effect on a guitar or something. I don't know what they're using, but it sounds just really interesting. Paige is killing it. Really layered, really good, incredible peaks. This Bowie is just, it's incredible. So. The tweezer has like a twee prize jam. It just kind of keeps building like a twee prize would. It just, there's some really great jamming in this show. I think the Terrapin is really weird. Um, you know, Ninja Mike comes on from Ninja Custodian is like playing on the drums while Fishman's playing on the tar. And then he starts doing this like disgusting, gross vocal jam during <laughs> vacuum solo. Like the whole thing is just really disgusting. Like I can't even imagine people really eating dinner during this. It's like very weird. It's way too long. It's just like, I love how they're just going for it, you know? Um, but then what's so weird and amazing. You've stuck around fish. for set two. You might. This, <laughs> exactly. Now we're, we've got you. It's, it's not really their fault. The weird. dessert was delayed. <laughs> exactly. But then they do this like absolutely sublime version of somewhere over the rainbow. That's just beautiful. And I just love imagining them playing this in this club at like 1030 PM, you know, and it's just, it's gorgeous. And then it creeps into this spooky like dystopian riff where um in cavern where they're like playing the somewhere over the rainbow like quoting it over the beginning of, of cavern it's just it's so good i think this show i had never listened to the show before and it's incredible it kind of makes me think like this is around the time when they're starting to figure out and you could hear hints of this throughout the spring, but this is around the time where they're starting to figure out, like, if we take one musical idea and mash it up with another one that don't necessarily work, like, we actually create something that's really intriguing and we yeah. learn something and our audience gets creeped out but learns something as well. And I was listening to that this morning thinking just, like, this sounds like 1993 Fish just 12 months early. And I wonder, yeah. in a sense, is – are the amphitheaters having something to do with this? Is it a confidence level that like, hey, look who we're playing with. Like we can we can hang. So whatever we're doing is getting us to this point. So let's just keep trusting ourselves. I don't know. I mean, this show is directly after three nights opening for Santana at the Greek. Now, of yeah. course, they'd also mm. done a bunch of other nights opening for Carlos Santana, but they just did three at the LA Greek. And then without any real travel, they've got this show with some old yeah. friends I feel like they they're probably on a pretty high high, um, creatively, musically, ego, everything about it. They're probably feeling pretty good, and it comes through. You mentioned the Bowie, and that Bowie is absolutely like if you listen to nothing else, you'd be making a mistake. But you should listen to this <laughs> Bowie. Alex, what are your thoughts on these the the single like? the two set shows that kind of happened throughout this, this tour. And, and what are your thoughts in terms of the band's development? Well, so that's kind of, I think the, the curiosity behind the summer tours, they start off opening in Europe, then they're on the horde tour with their buddies. Then they do some standalone shows and then they're an opening act. So I, I feel like they're going through a growth spurt. Like my, my son right now, he's uh, 11 and he needs a new pair of shoes like every four months. Oh God. Um, they don't and, stop and I, doing that. No, they don't. <laughs> but 
I, I feel like fish is also arguably at this point in their career where they're trying to figure out like, how do we grow? And let's try this, let's try this, let's try this. And, and I feel like they're really learning through what either doesn't work or doesn't feel comfortable to find out like, hey, we need to do this on our own yeah. and, and on our yeah. own terms. Uh, and, and that's kind of my big takeaway is just like, they, they do all these different things, but they're just like, hey, wait a minute. Like we need to, just be ourselves, play our own shows, um, stop, you know, stop having opening acts and just focus on what we do really well. But Hmm. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's such a learning experience and it's such a growth spurt that they're going through where like certain things work, certain things don't. And like, they're kind of figuring that out on the the fly. Um, Before we jump into our final segment here to talk through these Santana shows, we do need to tell all of you listeners out there about a very, 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 did I say very enough? Good very. friends. Very. At Sunset Lake CBD. Megan, do you want to tell the listeners about Sunset Lake? Absolutely. Everyone knows how much we love Sunset Lake. Sunset Lake CBD's line of smokable hemp products, they're for the old deadhead or the young fish fan or the fish fan that was young in 1992, seeing (laughs) fish on horror tour, and is now just searching for a mellow body high. Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without the paranoid and anxious side effects. They have nine different strains from this year's harvest, and there's something for everyone. The Hawaiian Haze is awesome for an outdoor show, and Cherry Abacus is best for the end of the night. All the flour is grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. They have an incredible farm-to-table approach, so you're going to get really great pricing, and they ship really fast, so you're not going to be waiting for a long time for your CBD. And I have really, really been enjoying their new CBD sleep gummies, so they have melatonin in them, and they're specifically designed to help you fall asleep and stay asleep and get a really great night's sleep. So if you're going to be out late partying on summer tour, like me this summer, you're going to need lots of CBD gummies to help you go to sleep at night. So check them out. Sunsetlakecbd.com. Use the coupon code HFPOD and you're going to get 20% off everything. That's Sunset Lake CBD, farmer owned, Vermont grown. And with that, we are more relaxed, and <laughs> ready to dive into the final segment of the Summer 92 tour, which should I say, could I say it's going to be a hot one? <laughs> can I say that? Am I allowed to you say sure that? Can, this Brian. Yeah. You sure can, Brian. You sure can. It's going to be a smooth <laughs> set of fish, if you will. Oh. Um, fish. So, yeah, you just got it. Yeah. Um, no. I apologize no. to everyone out there. Um, Alex, I think everyone here on this show can agree. We've all had those like weeks in our lives where we're like, can I just, can this just be every week of my life? Yeah. Can I just like see one good show and then another good show? And oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to see another good show. Um, you get, as we noted, three fish shows in one week in mid July, Horde, Solo Fish, and then you convince your dad to go see fish at Meriwether Post. Open up for Santana. Tell us. I guess like let's put a bow on this overall week that you had. What is it like seeing fish now in your third setting and how was the show for you overall? So this show was oddly weird. Uh, 
the the kind of seeing the horde show was a lot of fun it was unexpected tracks just blew my mind uh i i got to see a sloth i got to hear a mcgrupp um i think one of the things that was really unique about fish in this time frame is how inclusive they were so we had all the signals and we got a like an all fall down we got a like simpson signal like we just had so much fun and then transitioning to santana was a little abrupt um i don't the the upon re-listened the show is better than i thought it was but at the time it felt a little flat i kind of think after the intimacy of seeing them in person like almost able to touch them then kind of being out in the crowd and most of the crowd was there for santana that's why i was able to convince my dad to go so there was a smaller group there that was excited to see fish but it was a different vibe and at the time and for most of the time it was just kind of like okay not a bad show uh and i still got to see it so i'm, I'm always excited about that but it didn't really resonate with me as much as you know, the previous two shows had. Uh, I'll tell you, the um, fish.net has, they, they have the review from uh, Dave Steinberg, Zizix, yep. which is in the Fish Companion, and yeah. he, I think, largely agrees with you. Yeah. Um, now, there's some disagreement in here, whereas people are not as disappointed, if you will, yeah. uh, as I think... He definitely was, and uh, and you, I don't, I, you didn't words, use the word disappointment, so I'm not going to put that in your mouth. But I, I get that impression that it didn't live up to those other shows. Correct. Um, we don't seem to have a tape. I couldn't. I don't. I don't have a tape, so I couldn't listen to it. But this um, is the first time they're ever playing in a big amphitheater, besides yep. on Horde. Right? They're opening right. for Santana. This is so, this yeah. is the first Santana. It's the first yes. Santana. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, I mean they, you know, they I don't think they're really straying from they're not really doing anything that crazy on this one. Um, but I think the they get around to The set list looks it. a little bit more straightforward than some of these mm-hmm. set lists. Yeah. And I I've got to imagine there's an element of pressure that the band feels that they're yeah. not feeling on horde, that they're not feeling when they're playing solo shows that they probably didn't even feel opening up for the Violent Femmes in Europe. Like this for all intents and purposes, like this might be the biggest gig of their career to this point in time. Like if they mm-hmm. come out and they, you know, hook this crowd, no pun intended, right out the gates, like suddenly they've elevated themselves in in these, you know, first set opening shows. We've all been to concerts where you're like, I don't know who the opener is. And you kind of just like hang out, you, you give them, you know, the time you listen to them, you give them a cursory listen, but like you're there to see a different band. And as many similarities as there are between fish and Santana from a, from the hose standpoint, from a soloing standpoint, there's definitely a lot of differences in terms of the overall (laughs) fan base and the overall style that like, you probably had a lot of people who were like, okay, uh, I'm just looking through it right now. Like, there's nothing really weird in the set list. There's no vacuum solos. There's no yeah, there HYHU. <laughs> there's no, like, it's about as straightforward of like, a, hey, can you handle this band as possible? And I'm guessing that's what you're feeling when you're in the room, Alex, especially compared to the last couple of nights. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. And then looking at a lot of these different sets, there's a lot of overlap. Like, 
Mm-hmm. They're playing a lot of like three, five minute songs. There's usually one eight minute song. Maybe they're tossing in a yem. So they're still being themselves. Um, but it, it's just like, how do we compact that fish energy into like a 30 minute set? And that's a tall ask. Yeah. Yeah. I think by later in the, in the tour, they're doing it without, again, you, you're right. They're not doing they're You know, you start to see signals, Simpson signals yep. off all down that I think they're, they're looking for their people or they see their mm-hmm. people and they're trying to acknowledge them. Uh, somebody commented on the Meriwether show, you know, that, uh, you know, they didn't think it was that bad. It was a response to other reviews, but they especially enjoyed being able to get down front for yeah. fish. Okay, <laughs> yeah. cool. Um, you know, but they they do, I mean, right in the middle of this run, they also stop in for a very special show that deserves its own episode, perhaps, where they uh, perform on Hanging with MTV. So yes. Fish is at a very weird moment mm-hmm. for Fish. And I feel like that, they were finding their way here. Yeah. What does it mean? I mean, at the Stowe show, uh, which maybe I should have picked Carlos Santana and Carl Perazzo come out and play with them, which is probably um, very well received by even the non-fish fans. But it's, it's mm-hmm. Stowe, so they're in Vermont. So they're probably a bit of a homer audience, too, for fish. Um, the show that I picked was you know, the last of those Greek shows that I mentioned earlier, and it was, it's 8.13. They only play three songs. They, they're a little bit cut short. They're literally playing in 30 minutes. Um, but they do Chalk Dust, Foam, and You Enjoy Myself. And they do a full vocal jam. They don't really hold, pull any punches on that. I don't know what the uh, California audience was thinking of it. But I, it, it but doesn't. That sounds a little more successful to me it, than this set. Yeah. It yeah. It, well, it sounds like thirty minutes of fish. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like thirty minutes of like pop music fish. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And maybe that's kind of where they got to. Is like we just have to be ourselves in a condensed version. Maybe in the beginning they're trying to be more like, hey, let's play sparkle, let's play bouncing. You know, let's play these songs that could actually go on the radio. You know, I don't know. No, I agree with that. I think, and I think that that speaks to like what Jonathan was saying as well. And I think that speaks to the vibe that you're talking about, Alex. Like, I think it's got to be a challenging environment for the band. And if you think about like both sides of 1992, like 1990, they play eight shows in June, one show in July, one show in August, 1991, they do a horn summer tour. Like the, the idea of a summer tour when fish is touring and playing music, they're not missing summer tours. That is just like a staple. They'll take a fall tour off. They, they don't really tour in the spring anymore, but like summer is when this band is on and you go to 1992 and again, there's some like up and down nature of like, there's no real consistency. They're playing Horde. They're playing with Santana. They're playing a few solo shows here and there, but then they're also playing these venues, MPP, Homedale, the Greek that they're going to play going forward. And you look ahead to 1993. It's so wild that it took them one summer of opening for Santana to then say, okay, we can play that venue. And a year from now in 1993, like I'm just, I want to pull this up and compare both of these. They're going to play the man music center, 
Stowe by themselves, Jones Beach, Great Woods, Waterloo. Uh, they're going to play the New World Music Theater, Red Rocks, and then a bunch of theaters out west. Like They're going to play venues that when they start doing summer tours like in 94, 95, 97, 98, like these are going to become the mainstay spots that they're going to go to. And it makes a lot of sense to me that when they play in front of Santana in Meriwether Post, Meriwether Post Pavilion for the first time, they're kind of like, how do we do this? <laughs> like, how do yeah. we actually present ourselves? I mean, being an opening band is so hard. It's like being a substitute teacher, you know? It's just really hard, you know, to walk in and, like, try to get respect and have people listen to you, and it's a hard job. It is. It is. Um, I want to ask you guys a couple of questions, unless anyone has anything else they want to say about sitting in with Santana. Uh, I would like to mention – oh, go ahead. You Please. go ahead, Jonathan. Well, yeah, then um, I'll let you put the button on this, is that, you know, they did, I just flipped through all of these set lists while, you, while we were talking about this, and they did open up a little with a, you know, stash here, and a few, you know, like, teasing Oya Komova during, at the mm -hmm. Shoreline show, you know, and doing some of that, uh, I think the most notable is that they then, like Cal Expo, the final show of the tour, you know, they open with Uncle Penn, they do an acapella song, they do Memories, um, Antelope, and then a Sweet Adeline. I think that is like Fish at its most comfortable with this, even though yeah. they still don't really open up uh, Good Antelope, I think, in that one. But, um, oh, that was a four-band bill show, so that's that's kind of wild they had that much time, because Los Lobos and the Indigo Girls were also Indigo, yep. So, wild. Sorry, Alex, what were you going to say? Well, no, I just I, I have to give 725 a shout out, um, mostly just because my sister was there. Uh, wow. Like, like I mentioned, we lived in Vermont from 83 to 89, which for me was the equivalent of third grade to eighth grade. So my sister is two or three years younger than me. Um, but she continued to go back to Vermont after we moved. And her parents had started a microbrewery called Catamount. And her parents were vendors at the Stowe Arts Expo. So my 14-year-old sister flew back to Vermont, went to Stowe, was drinking microbrews, running around the mountains of Stowe, seeing fish in Santana as her first experience. And I'm just like, that's how you do wow, it. Wow. That's how you do it. That's good for her. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, that, there is don't that. tell my 14-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's mine either. Great, there's that great picture in the fish book of Trey and Santana during that set. And you can kind of just see Santana be like, you, you've you got it. And yeah. Trey's just like learning from him. He looks so young. I mean, he must have been, what, like late 20s at that point in time. Yeah. Incredible. Um, I'm curious for you guys, just a couple of big picture takeaways from this tour. What do you guys think is kind of the larger significance of the band playing these future venues for the first time, even when it's a challenging situation? Well, it's so good to get out on that big stage, especially before you're the one filling the room, you know, just to get out on that stage and see what it feels like and see how feel, you sound up there. Yeah. See how you sound, see what works, what doesn't see what pieces of your equipment you like, don't like up there, feel how things play look out. There's just something about looking out and being on the stage. I think that's, it's a really big deal. They're lucky they got to do that. I think it, it helped a lot for them. Yeah. 
I agree completely with that. I think I alluded to it at the top of the thing. And I think if anything, I would be curious to know if they made any adjustments during the tour. Like, Mm. you know, did Trey decide he needed something else or Paige or some, anybody, you know, decide they need to get change up a piece of gear or change the way they're, you know, addressing their rig and, um, in order to make it fit into the space. And maybe, maybe they had it dialed in and they were just like, no, no, just, you know, put the mic right there and we're good. You know, maybe, maybe it was fine. Um, and it was all about the material and the, the, and intentionality of the way they played. Maybe that's all they had to adjust, but, um, I, I think it was just an amazing opportunity for them. And I feel like um, even if the reviews aren't the strongest of those shows for, among the fans, I feel like it was, I think it worked. It, they took advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, that's really one of the things I had reached out to Brian about. Like, what is the mindset of the band being on this stage with the Horde Tour and hopefully a half full venue? And then with Santana a month mm-hmm. later and being at full capacity and like, how does that empower you as a band? How does that inspire you to like, how do we do this? How, how do we get to this level where we're the ones who, who have this venue? Um, yeah. And so it really is, it's, uh, it was about growth and like, how do we do this on our own terms? Yeah. I think about this tour a lot. Um, like I think about my current favorite baseball team who is going through a rebuild gotta and be sports. <laughs> always got to be sports no, uh, and has, no, and, and, but like, you know, I was, I was, I was watching, we were playing the Dodgers this last weekend and we lost all four games. And I was listening to our announcers be like, look, wins and losses mean nothing this year. It means absolutely nothing. The whole point of this season is to see who can play, who can actually like stick around with the team. And I kind of think about that with fish at this point. It really doesn't matter that the fans don't like some of these shows. It doesn't really matter that like they don't play the greatest shows. What matters is what you guys are all alluding to that. Like when they come back to these venues a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, they feel comfortable there. They know that they can do it. They get whatever backstage advice they get from Santana. They get to see like, what is the dynamic of blues traveler? What is the dynamic of spin doctors? What's the dynamic of widespread panic? What are we doing? That's making us work. Not necessarily in comparison to these other bands, but like in conjunction as all of us are growing, I'm sure from like, you know, we've talked a lot about what was it like for the bands and these other artists or the band and these other artists. What is it like for the management teams? Cause they're backstage the whole mm-hmm. time seeing how this thing runs. And like, you've got to imagine for like Paluska and Brad Sands and Corota seeing what it's like for Santana, who's playing stadiums and selling out amphitheaters without the help of Rob Thomas that like they're learning a ton and they're like, Oh shit. We don't have that in place. We don't do that. We don't call the band at this time to get them ready for this next thing. We've got to button ourselves up and make sure that this ship runs, you know, a little bit more tightly. All those things, like they're walking out saying, I I would imagine we're not messing around anymore. Like where this is our, this is where we're going. And we now know how to do this, which, which is wild to me. Um, Two more questions for you all. What's what is what would you say in under five words? What is the sound of summer nineteen ninety two? Megan, let's start with you. Driving, playful. I like that, Jonathan. What say you? 
I, I think the, the thing that stands out to me is the uh, ripping. Ripping. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I had, uh, in, in doing my reviews, ripping, like mm. popping. Mike is just on fire, just popping off all the time uh, and ferocious. Mm. I like that. Yeah. I also appreciate I appreciate that you went over five words. That is very, very applicable for this podcast. So thank you very yeah, yeah. much. I learned from you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna call this um it's like a good strong double. You know, like you get a great hit in the outfield that you like race around first to second. Maybe you don't score, but like the double's the point. I just, unrelated to limited word, limited lists. I, I go like on. To shout out the soundboards and the way Paige sounds on some of these tapes. Yeah, great call. Fucking great. Like mm-hmm. his organ sounds so good on some of these. Some of these shows, specific shows that we listen to. In fact, um, he just absolutely sounds amazing. So I think Seven Eleven is probably one of them. Um, uh, yeah, it, just listen to that. The way he, you can hear everything, like as he is adjusting his Leslie in ways that you don't hear yeah. in later shows. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's one thing that's really interesting about both Mike and Trey is they're playing all the notes to get to the note. And, and that level of restraint is something they would get by 94 and 95. Mm. But I love it when you're going to play like 10,000 notes and then Trey hits the sustain and your face melts and you're just like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Wait, Um, we didn't even get to talk about that. Like three minute (laughs) note he holds during the mics in the show I was talking about. Crazy. It's just like insane. He plays one note for like three minutes and you can hear the rest of them like, okay, we're going to keep jamming underneath (laughs) this note that you're still playing. (laughs) It is. It's wild. Like, I'm really glad you brought up Paige because we don't talk as much about Paige in this era. And like, is anyone going to change their sound as much as Paige in the next six months? Like he's six months away from getting the baby grand piano and suddenly like the richness of the fish sound is going to change. Um, Last question for you guys. So we did this as we ended the mace, the, the spring series. We did this as we started this episode. The band is going to take some time off. They are going to record Rift in the inner wee months. Um, and then they're going to go back on the road. And they have a fall tour that we will be covering when we get to November. band is not going to go back on the road again until November. They're going to play a 21-show fall tour that goes from November 19th to December 13th and it's basically a northeast and slightly midwest run but where do you guys hear the band as they've now finished this tour we didn't all listen to every single show but we heard a good amount they do Horde they do Solo they do Santana Alex starting with you as our guest where do you hear the band as they're moving on to this next phase of their career I, I mean I, I think I, I first of all I really love the spring review that you guys did it was really informative um I love touching upon like the West coast shows and the freedom. And and really, I think that's what leads into the fall tour is that this comfort that they built off the spring run, but then this knowledge that, Hey, we can play slightly bigger venues. We can do it on our own terms. 
I think you're mm-hmm. starting to hear some of that play into the sound where they're, they're more comfortable going out and just like, well, let's push it. Let's push it. And, and how do we make, give ourselves space to grow? So that, that really was just kind of coming off that summer, moving into the fall is just like, okay, we're doing this, but we're doing it our way. Love that. Jonathan, what do you got? I mean, I, they're just, it's the same thing that they were doing for in the years prior and we'll keep doing for a couple more years is they're just building, they're just adding the pieces. So what they, they got to do these, uh, amphitheater, big venue tour in the summer. And just like you were saying, Brian, you know, they were all learning, you know, management's learning, everybody's taking what they learn there. Let's apply it to what we need to do now in the fall as we go out there and hit the theaters and play, you know, various universities, so they start to continue to scale up a little bit, you know, starting to play various forums and, you know, the smaller <laughs> arenas and things. And uh, it, it's just continuing growth, yeah. learning, building, learning, building, ever forward. Go fish. That's it. Meg, what do you got? It's a really exciting time for them. I mean, thinking about what's coming ahead in the fall, they're going to, like, introduce the big ball jam. Not my favorite, but, you know, it definitely, like, gets them into that space where they're kind of, like, more chaotic and more improvisational. Yeah, you think about them starting to do that in songs like Stash and Split Open and Mount, songs that had really strong year in 1992. And then they're starting to stretch those out and think of how they can type to those instead of just like Bowie or Rika Pog. And you've got like awesome narrations coming up, like really funny, cool narrations. You've got the vibration of life coming up. And there's just some really cool stuff that they're going to start doing in the fall. That's um, they're inspired clearly. Yeah. I, th- I think the big ball jam is an interesting one to bring up here because it is not just an improv tool, but it's also a thing that they use to make sure they could c- continue to connect with the audience in the bigger rooms. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. as they got into these forums and small arenas and stuff, they do this to make sure they are really still connecting with the people in front of them. And I yeah, think it still works. having that intimacy. Yeah. Right. I agree with everything you guys say. I think my, my two thoughts are one, it had to be so comforting to look ahead after this summer tour that had, there had to be a lot of pressure. Like you're, they're not, especially these Santana gigs, they're not like doing their thing and they're not like just themselves on the road kind of evolving as a band. But then you look ahead to November and you get the Palace Theater in Albany you get uh, Broome County Forum. They return there in Binghamton. They played that great show there in March. Um, you get two nights at the Capitol Theater in Port Chester. Uh, you get two nights at the Vic in uh, Chicago, Illinois. Um, you get these little theaters in Minneapolis, Madison, Kalamazoo. They play the State Theater. And then they end with these two nights in Canada. They play, they play Toronto on the 12th and they play the spectrum Montreal uh, on the 13th. And you just get like these tiny theaters in areas that they're pretty familiar with. The furthest they go West is Minneapolis, which is pretty safe uh, traveling around that point in time. But like it had to be, they record rift. They play this little mini four week tour over Thanksgiving and into like right ahead of Christmas. 
that had to be just so relaxing for them to go out at that tour. And I'll just tip my hand four months early. This fall tour is hot. Not a hot one. Hot. It's incredibly hot. There's some killer shows. There's some killer jams. And we hear this band start to take that further step towards 1993. So it is awesome. It is really awesome. Um, any last thoughts about summer 1992? Um, did y'all, any, either of you listen to the show from Richmond, uh, particularly the Bowie? I, I, I did. Sw- I swear at I eight minutes in, eight minutes in, they play my soul. There's like 30, 40 yes. seconds where they're playing my soul. And Brian like will hear five, it if it's there. It's I five years it. before it's a thing, but I was just like, it's my soul. So. <laughs> yes, awesome. I, I totally remember that. I was like, what, what in the world is happening right now? Why are they playing this song inside of David Bowie? It, uh, it's not it, the note I want to leave you on, but I couldn't not mark on it. It's, you know this podcast too well. I appreciate it. We got baseball. We, the My Soul was the final thing to finish up with the bingo card. Whoever was out there that had that, you won. Um, the bingo card, <laughs> <laughs> Alex. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you guys so much. Going to these three shows and reaching out to us, and it's been so awesome to talk about. I'm so glad we finally got to do this, and I, I want to implore you. It's on. Po- it's on the podcast. People are going to hear this. Oh Please reach out to us and let us know what shows you're going to. Send me an email. Wait, you're going summer. to Raleigh, right? I'm, I'm definitely going, going to Raleigh. Raleigh. Yes. I think you should come and do a recap with us. I think oh, you should. Awesome. That'd be great. Okay. We're no pressure, but say hi to us at the show. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan and I are both going to be at the show. Oh, I knew you I knew you and RJ were going, but I didn't know Jonathan was going. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nice. Yes, yep. we have to get together then. Yes, we will find do that us. And let's have you. And we're going to sign you up for well. a recap. <laughs> Perfect. Yes, I'll be there. I'll, I'll send you an, an invite here today, <laughs> Alex. Thank you so much for hanging. Thank you uh, for all, for all your thoughts. This was awesome, man. We'll do this here soon. All right. I appreciate you guys. Thanks, have a good Alex. day. Bye. You too, man. Take it easy. All right. That was, that was, that was great. Awesome. 92, man. Such a fun, such a fun tour. And Alex was so awesome there. Um, yeah, his stories were great. They really were. Um, so we will be back shifting gears here because we're leaving 1992. We're moving past Santana's Supernatural. We are moving past uh, Supernatural 2. Supernatural 2, all the baseball seasons that happen in the middle, all the performances of my soul. And you just see them flying by. Soul, because we are coming to the present. Okay. We are going to be shifting our gears. I'm just looking ahead here to our calendar for the next basically month and a half. I mean, people are going to hear a lot about from us. A lot. We're going to have some. You're going to hear a lot from us. We're going to hear a lot about summer 2022, and we're going to kick that off on Wednesday. We are inviting our friends from Wook Plus on, and we're going to do a we're going to do a second part of what we did in May. We thought we did it for the whole summer tour in May, but you know what? Content is content, and content is king. And we needed (laughs) to give you more nonsensical previews, predictions, whatever this may be. We are doing our summer 2022 wish list part two with the Wick Plus guys. We've got some and great- listen, we had some really hot takes in our first one. So I'm just saying people shouldn't miss this one because uh, it's a fun one. Also the ones from the first one are canonical. 
Anything that happens on Wednesday does not supersede what was previously said. I agree, 100%. Especially Cannot as triple I won't stamp be there on a double stamp. So. I get it. I'm right there with you. Um, <laughs> I would say that this episode is it's going to be a hot one. Um, mm-hmm. Seven inch from the midday. So I don't know how the what the next lyrics are, but um, just <laughs> um, we will be doing that Wednesday, July thirteenth at four thirty p.m. Eastern, and then following that, Friday, oh Saturday, Sunday morning. 11 a.m. my time, 1 p.m. your guys' time, somewhere in between or outside of that, depending on what other time zone you are in in America. We will be kicking off our recaps. We're going to do Great Woods, Great Woods, and Banger. It's going to be really great. One last announcement to anyone listening out there. Next Monday, we have an episode scheduled. We don't have anything that we currently want to talk about. There is no Sunday Fish Show, so we might be doing a recap. So we are turning our attention to you, the audience. Hit us up on Twitter, at HFPod. Tell us what you want us to talk about. We're going to pick one topic, and we're going to dive deep in that. It could be a show. could be a jam. could be, Brian's shirt collection. My shirt collection. Uh, Five shirts. Four of each shirts. It could be our thoughts on um, the career of Matchbox 20. We could rank all their <laughs> albums. <laughs> Jonathan's not doing that. It could be anything you want. So if you're listening to this, if you've made it an hour and 20 minutes into this and you're like, God I've always you. wanted HF Pod to talk about this. And not that, sorry, incredible perp. Oh, no, 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 no. We have to I'm keep that up. Yeah, we have to keep that. I don't that, know. Like, we got to keep that as the episode that may happen in yeah, the that's future. Like the, you know, that's like a bargaining chip. That's like can't do that mid-tour. Like... I mean, what do you want to – you want me to you could. quit the podcast mid-tour? <gasps> no. You could basically be like, hey, the first three shows were so let, – let's let's just imagine the first three shows of the tour. No, not let's good. not imagine. We could be say like, it. hey, say it, it could be worse. It could be worse. Here's what happens. God. Um, that's an interesting comment there. Um, anyway, <laughs> hmm. if you have ideas, if you have thoughts, I'm on board with Vegas 04. So incredible perp. If you want to come on and you and I can just hang out and talk Vegas 04, let's do it. Um, but tell us what you want to hear. <laughs> A lot of good stuff to come. Um, we will tell you one last time here about Sunset Lake CBD. Our good friends at Sunset Lake who is a majority employee on Hemp Farm located just outside of Burlington, Vermont. Actually, Jonathan, do you want to tell us about Sunset Lake or do you, should I tell us? I mean, I can. Sunset? You're doing do so well, though. Uh, as as everybody should know by now, because Brian just said, Sunset Lake CBD is a majority-owned, employee-owned hemp farm located just outside Burlington, Vermont. For years, Sunset Lake was a dairy farm producing milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream. And in 2019, they diversified, started growing hemp for CBD. Uh, Sunset Lake CBD embraces Vermont's tradition for land stewardship by using sustainable and regenerative farming techniques to build and protect healthy soils. They are 100% pesticide-free, use minimal tillage, and implement cover crops and crop rotations. They also serve as a research farm for University of Vermont agronomists to study hemp and inform best industry practices. I, um, I have right here in my hand my hemp salve with arnica, 
that uh, eases some of my discomfort from uh, inflammation in my hands, and it's it's great. So you should check them out today at www.sunsetlakecbd.com. Use coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. And in addition to that, we encourage everyone once again to visit passionhousecoffee.com. Get the Ocean of Osiris. Use the code Osiris for free shipping on every order. And remember, Fish Plays an Ocean Song, tag hashtag Ocean of Osiris. We'll select two winners each night and we will send you some Ocean of Osiris. In addition to that, we are one week away. Osiris taking over the Ardmore Music Hall, sponsored by Tonewood Brewing. Visit OsirisPod.com slash Osiris Live to buy tickets. You're going to get some Tommy Hamilton, some Chris Forsyth, some Daniel Donato, some Andy Cush, some Ryan Jewell, and some Ron Stabinski. Jams, 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 plus Megan. Also jams, jams, jams. Plus RJ interviewing musical guests, plus some more jams, 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 and then you get fish the next two nights at the NAM. Maybe maybe for next week's episode, we could sit down and I could go through all of the albums that I own that have Ryan Jewell, the drummer, who will be at that show. I'm not sure we I'm have enough that. time to do that in a single episode. I know for a fact I have less than you by probably like <laughs> tenfold, and I have... So many that it's going to take a long time to go through the show. Maybe maybe we'll swap out. Well, what do we have? And we can talk about our favorite Ryan Jewell records next week. Because that dude. Ooh, that's cool. He's done some things. That's I had, I had you know, he's, he's get real he's, with he's, you guys. I don't have a lot of drummers on my podcast. Um, it's not a shot at drummers. Um, but I had him on the show just so we could talk mm. about so many different bands in one visit, it was, I mean, he's an amazing drummer, to be clear. So it was also to talk about that and dead. He's a really sweet guy, too. But we were able to talk about so many different bands. And since then, he's done even more stuff. I mean, it's just, it's outstanding. It's just wonderful. That's interesting. All of those guests for that show, I mean, they've they've done so much. I also got a big old stack of Chris Forsyth records around here somewhere, so... I don't think there's anyone on this planet that I enjoy watching play music more than Ryan Jewell. He's always having a good time at it. He's just, his his whole body is into it, and he's got that big, big smile on his face. It's absolutely incredible. So check all that out. Let us know what you want us to talk about next Monday. We are, we are ready and waiting for your Vegas 04 asks. Until then, before... Jonathan and Megan can tell me no one more time. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for hanging. We will see you guys again on Wednesday to talk summer tour predictions with Wook Plus. Till then. Bye, everyone. See y'all.
Osiris. Hey, music fans. We wanted to let you know about Music on the Mountain, a show that will feature Anders Osborne, Dogs in a Pile, and Saints and Liars. This show will be directly after the Divided Sky Foundation's fun run at 2 p.m. on Saturday, May 18th at the base of Akimo Mountain in Ludlow, Vermont. The show is presented by The Phoenix, a national nonprofit organization offering support to those in recovery and anyone impacted by substance use to celebrate recovery. If you're running in the Divided Sky Foundation's fund run, you'll be automatically registered for the show. It's a family-friendly event, and all proceeds from ticket sales and other donations benefit the Divided Sky Foundation. Visit Music on the Mountain, that's musiconthemtn.com, for more info and to get tickets. That's musiconthemtn.com. Hope you enjoy. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.